We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Today we are coming to you two days after the Giants Fan Fest, which was a whole lot of fun. And one day after a tumultuous practice, let's just call it a fight that broke out at Giants practice after a really, really ugly day for the Giants offense and a really good day for the Giants defense in turn. So lots to talk about there. Definitely want to talk about the fan fan fest experience because Nick Filato was in his element that I've never seen him before. I've known Nick for a good amount of time now. We spent a good amount of time together, but it started when I got a text like literally that morning, like, dude, we're going to get, we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it early. I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, Let's go out for lunch and let's start drinking at lunch. Let's find a BYOB place. He was all about it. So we started our drinking early that day. And Filato was pretty damn drunk because you're about to hear the voice went because it was a loud, fun night. We went out after in Morristown, which was a lot of fun as well. Got some drinks, met up with some old friends from around the area too. And so FanFest, Morristown night out, Morristown day before drinking and having lunch. Just an all-around great day with an exception of what the offense, at least in my mind, and not my mind, in anyone's mind with two sets of with a set of eyes could see put out there on Friday night at the scrimmage. But we'll get to that. We'll get to all of that. First, before we do that, Nick, show off that new voice of yours. The voice is not a product, I don't think, of the alcohol, but it definitely helped facilitate that. And this isn't just from FanFest. I was at a wedding last night and you know weddings are this is our not to laugh hearing this voice go on go on (laughs) yeah the wedding was just you know they're just insanely freaking loud so you're always screaming over people so my voice has kind of been through the ringer but i had a ton of fun at fan fest meeting a ton of listeners i appreciate every single one of you it was blast to get to talk with you guys and just enjoy some drinks and enjoy each other's company so hopefully we have to do that again sometime in the near future yeah, let's start there. Let's start with the beginning of FanFest where we, uh, me and Nick got to the parking lot, hung out with the Talking Giants guys at their tailgate, went on and gave some predictions with Talking Giants about what the season is going to go from a record standpoint. I kind of wish, Nick, that I had seen Friday Night Scrimmage before I made that prediction. It's kind of like last year when the Giants had that eye-opening preseason game against the Patriots where we're like, holy crap, this offensive line is going to be bad. We are not going to win football games. And I don't want to equate it to that because it's not quite that. The Giants are facing their own team here in a scrimmage, and it's just a scrimmage, and it's just one night, yada, yada, yada. But, man, if I had seen what I had seen on Friday night, there's just no way I would have made that prediction. I just I just can't as someone who 
has evaluated football to this point in my career and learned what I've learned. I just, I just can't, I, I just can't do it. But I'm, I'm hoping that things are going to progress. We're going to talk a little bit about all of that. But let's talk about the beginning parts before that. We got to meet up with a good amount of you. I wish I could have seen a more of you and hung out with a bit more of you. But I did feel like a gr- I felt like I was having a great time just meeting those of you who came up to me. There are a lot of people who came up to me with Nick. There are a lot of people who came up to me individually. Other people who we kind of just hung out with in that parking lot by the tailgate prior to the actual scrimmage that went on at six. And it was just a really good time overall. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to everyone who, who I met that day, anyone who came up to me, things of that nature, any, any, any conversation we had. And in the future, I hope to meet more of you as well. Nick, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I agree with you, man. I mean, it was a blast. And like I said before, hopefully we get to do it again. Yeah, we will get to do it again at some point. So definitely cool to see. You know, I met License Place Guy for the first time in person. We had talked a bunch on Twitter. So that was cool to see a bunch of people, Football Grump, everyone, Spiro, just like Eli Racks, like literally the entire people, all of who I interact with for the most part from a content creator standpoint was there. I did wish we saw a few more of the listeners, but we got a few in. Um, definitely cool to meet a bunch of you. So, again, just a great, great overall experience. Other than what you saw on the field, right, Dan? Yeah, so not great what we saw on the field, at least not on one side of the ball, right? You could say it was great from the defense. Defense was fast, physical for what they were allowed to do, confusing as they've, as they've been throughout camp, aggressive. I saw multiple looks where Wink Martindale brought – you know, that amoeba look to the line of scrimmage with five, six, seven guys, someone dropping that you weren't expecting. Kayvon Thibodeau had one play where he dropped in coverage. And I got to be honest with you, man, he looked damn good. And we said this when we watched his Oregon tape. I remember me and you saying this in his draft profile. Like, this dude's going to surprise people with his ability to drop in coverage for what he is as a defensive edge rusher. But, man, he looks smooth. He looks natural. He looks athletic. You know, I, I read a great report from uh, David Cyberstein, who we've had on the podcast in the past to break down the draft. Uh, Big Blue Interactive and our led scout. He's going to join the show again soon, by the way, which I'm really excited for. Just talking to him earlier today about coming back on the show because we love having him on. Uh, and he had, he delivered such a thorough report about that scrimmage on Friday night. I really do. This doesn't help us at all. He's not a part of the Big Blue Banter. And yet I would sit here and suggest everyone takes a look at his practice report from that scrimmage. It's on Big Blue Interactive. And one of the things that he mentioned was when Thibodeau dropped in coverage, Nick, he said he looked more smooth, more athletic, and more natural than any of our inside backers that were on the field. That's not a surprise, man. Kayvon is a he's a stud as an athlete. He's very fluid. It's something that we talked about getting back to Oregon when he would drop, and they didn't do it a lot because why the heck are you going to have this absolute just menace drop too often unless you're really just trying to be deceptive? But when he did drop, you could see he had the ability to. So that's something that Wink Martindale is going to use because – so many protection packages of the opposing offense are going to be like, all right, we got to stop that guy, slide protection that way. And Wink Martindale is going to line him up like he's coming and then drop it and then bring two more guys from the other side to create unblocked rushers and stuff like that. That's just what Wink Martindale does. He's an excellent designer of pressure. So I'm looking forward to the fact that his Kayvon Thibodeau's ability to drop is good enough to actually be effective. It is not just like some like big 280 pound defensive end just stiff as heck in space now he can actually cover ground and make some plays on the football yeah without a doubt and look we can sit here and talk about how scrimmage was bad and there's so much negative coming out of it but that's only if you focus on one side of the ball the offense if you focus on the defensive side of the ball there's just so many positives to talk about it's not limited to just what Kayvon Thibodeau was able to do off the edge 
if you focused in on Aaron Robinson, man, a guy who we've talked a lot about have, needing to have an important season for us to be good on defense, he was really sticky in coverage. He was really good. Dory Jackson, man, watching him stick to those routes, watching him nearly jump. Daniel Jones is really poorly, uh, poorly timed and poorly thrown passing. Was Jones's first or second pass right, right into like the, the I guess almost like a, a, a slant or a stick route type of thing at the line of scrimmage. Jackson nearly jumped that, nearly picked six that ball. I mean, he's been sticky in coverage, and he's been making plays on the ball. That is super important for us. But to see both Jackson and Robinson performing well, because they don't they don't really have any other options to be that that sure of. And even some of the back end corners played well. I felt like coverage was good the entire night. It was sticky. It was there. The pass rush was good the entire night. It wasn't just Kayvon Thibodeau, right? Those inside guys are making progress. Leonard Williams continues a really strong, steady drumbeat camp. Shane Ziminens had a couple nice rushes in there. Obviously, in the run game, you saw some the offense start to get the advantage back again. Evan Neal had that really fun rep that went around Twitter where he kind of drove Ellerson Smith, I believe it was, back like four yards into six yards, seven yards into the end zone. And I'm starting to get a lot more confident in general about the Giants run game and how this offense is going to look from a chance to just early in the season. I kind of do get the feel they're going to be a lot like that 2020 version of the Giants down the stretch run that beat up on all those backup quarterbacks. That'll be the blueprint, I think, to win quick passes around the line of scrimmage, a heavy run game in defense. But man, there was a lot to like about the defense. Let's let's get your thoughts on the defense before we move forward to what we saw on offense, Nick. The cornerbacks were really sticky. I thought they were really anticipating what the offense was doing. I thought the pressure that was being dialed up, and it wasn't like Wink was just like pouring everything against the offense, like showing his hand, right. but just even the simple twists that he was running. It, it always seemed like there was a free rusher. It seemed like Daniel Jones would have been sacked a significant amount of times. And some of those throws that should have been interceptions, it's like, well, Jones would have went down three seconds before that football even came out of his hands. So, you know, there just would have been a sack, you know? So it, it was definitely a, a check mark in the, in the direction for the defense. But I also think, and not to dovetail into the offense, a reason for that is also because the offense was really, really vanilla, dude. Like they weren't really doing much. They there wasn't all like a lot of like exotic pre-snap motions, and it was pretty um, standard, I would say. Like what we saw from the offensive philosophy in the in the scrimmage. I think that's a very fair point, Nick. I think we've looked at a lot of the negatives from what the offense put out there, but it's fair to say some of that is based on how vanilla the offensive game script was. And I predicted before practice incorrectly. I know I told you this, Nick. I thought it was going to be a game script that was tailored to kind of feature the offense for the fans and make it look good. But you're right. There wasn't really anything exotic in there. There wasn't anything interesting in there. Um, I will say this as far as the dropped interceptions versus sacks go. The big completion of Robinson, really the only plus passing play in my mind. I mean, they hit a couple other slants and little crappy stuff that throw to Galladay in the end zone that was ruled in completion. It's like a four-yard throw. But the one where he stepped up in the pocket and threw through and Daniel Jones threw to uh, to Robinson, kudos to Robinson for getting open and route recognition. That part of it's great, but that one would have been a sack too. Julian Love came untouched on a blitz. Evan Neal made a big mistake there from a mental processing standpoint to let him go free. And that play just never happened. So, you know, there were, you know, I think that kind of goes both ways. Oh, 100%, dude. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I think the one interception or would be interception that made it rounds on Twitter that Daniel Jones had. Yeah, I'm not really 100% certain what Daniel Jones is seeing on that play. It looks like the receiver is going to stop his route up, but like the receiver should stop the route because why would the receiver want to go right into where Tay Crowder is? It looks to me like Daniel Jones might not have even seen Tay Crowder unless 
there was some sort of pre-snap communication between whoever that receiver is and Daniel Jones to tell him to undercut underneath that linebacker. And then Jones thought that he would be there and the wide receiver didn't do it. I, I don't know if that's the case, but either way, it appears like there's probably not a reason for Daniel Jones to put the football in that area where the middle hook defender is just sitting there watching him. Yeah, and to me, unfortunately, it doesn't ultimately surprise me all that much, Nick, because he's had a lot of trouble diagnosing those middle hook defenders throughout his career, specifically in the last few seasons, but really dating back to 2019 and Duke career as well. Just an issue for Jones, the sight, the vision uh, in that standpoint. So I, I, I would, if I had to guess, I don't know, I would guess that one's on the quarterback. Uh, obviously, a dropped interception by Crowder. Crowder should really secure that. But it's as easy as it gets as an interception. I think the one to... Uh, Dory Jackson earlier in the practice that a Jackson came very close to pick sixing. That one I think is more just based on the timing being off with this offense. Um, you know, Jones is just late on this throw and the placement could be better. He puts it too far inside to allow Jackson to make the play on it. And Dory again, should have probably picked this, but it dropped, dropped, but that one is less of an issue with the vision. I think he knows Jackson is there to potentially drive on the football. He's just late coming back to that throw. Did you see the one play where I think it was Kenny Galladay near the goal line, the red zone, and Daniel Jones? To me, I think Daniel Jones threw it out of bounds on purpose, but the throw looked like really far away. It looked like it was just terrible ball placement. But I think he read the leverage of I think it might have been a Dory Jackson in coverage. It could have been Aaron Robinson. Noticed like, oh, this stuff's going to get picked six. So he just kind of threw it really far and inside so it could not get caught like towards the sideline yeah i saw that and i watched that a few more times at first i felt like maybe he, uh, not him daniel jones not specifically but like a justin herbert type could rip that ball to a back shoulder and away from the frame but even that is such a tight window thing to throw to ask i mean you're asking for such a small margin error i think from for jones standpoint for what jones offers from an arm town standpoint that's the perfect throw just get it out of bounds and live to fight another day specifically in the red zone i kind of came around to that after watching it a few more times hard to know if it's based on the leverage i i hope so obviously that would mean he's processing the play really well and he's made strides from that standpoint so yeah let's let's hope that's the case for sure there um as long as we're going over jones i guess we can stick on jones overall and Dan, one more thing before just because yeah. yeah, i'm sure we'll probably dive into some of the interceptions he threw in today's practice. But I, I will say this, and I don't think Daniel Jones was overly impressive on, on Friday, but he did have a stronger, like, second series. That first series was pretty rough, you know, to, to watch. I think he ended up, like, you know, just calming down a little bit and getting to those check downs, which isn't necessarily something that you, you want to hear, you know, like, oh, your guy's just going for check downs all the time. Like, that's not great. But it did seem like he, you know – was able to lead the team down the field a little bit, but a lot of it was, you know, a little dump off to Saquon Barkley here, a little stick route to Wandale Robinson there. It was nothing really that challenged vertically too much. It didn't seem like, or like over the intermediate parts of the field, other than that one play by Wandale that we broke down. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Football season is right around the corner, and if you're into sports gambling, you have to check out OddsTrader.com. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can compare different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. So if you're into handicapping, play-by-play updates, live scoring and bet tracking, player statistics, key game statistics, projected weather, all of this. If you're into that, you have to check out OddsTrader.com. Go to OddsTrader.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's OddsTrader.com slash BLUEWIRE to optimize your betting. Odds Trader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, and, he, and again, in the play by Wando, pretty good throw as he's stepping up to the pressure. Nothing too special, though. It's like a you know mid-intermediate over the middle uh, on a would-be sack. But yeah, he definitely settled down. We've seen that before with Jones uh, in the past where under the lights, he's needed a little bit of time to settle down. The Bucks game, a few others that come to mind. I think this, uh, I don't remember another one where I, where I remember that happening, but... Buccaneers game. The so Buccaneers game, yeah, yeah, definitely the Buccaneers. He started the inter- he started the game with an interception for a touchdown to Willie Gay. It was like, oh my god. Yep, <laughs> like, yep, that's a good point. That she's yep, yeah, it's another one under the light. So maybe that's just something with Daniel Jones. He and we're gonna get to this in a little bit because I do want to get your take on it as far as feel goes for him in the pocket because that was one of the more alarming things for me within the evaluation of his Friday practice and just overall evaluating his first three years in the NFL, but. I do want to say he, right? Like it, it is kind of what you said. I mean, a big chunk was gained on a really nice call screen to Saquon Barkley, and then a lot of like you said, checkdowns or quick slants. Really, zero throws outside the hash, zero back shoulders, nothing interesting downfield. The one time he was trying to go downfield, he had an open touchdown to Wondell Robinson that he airmailed. And when he airmailed this thing, Nick, I mean, airmail. For those who didn't see it, this went four to six yards over the receiver's head. The ball placement was was really, really scary bad in this one, and. There was another one in the red zone where he's forced to move off spot. And again, the ball placement was really scary bad because it was multiple yards over the receiver. I don't know what's going on right now with the ball placement. I don't know what's going on with Daniel Jones' velocity and why both of those things are looking so much worse than they did to me at times in his career. But I'm just hoping, like you said, it's just under the lights. He needs to settle down. He needs to get more you know, on track with the offense. He needs to get on the same page communication. The ball placement, all the other stuff, right? The ball placement is something that I feel like we could probably, I don't want to say excuse, but you can like be like, well, maybe he thought the receiver was going to be in this position and, and it's receivers and quarterbacks working in a new system. So like you can maybe argue that like from a position standpoint, maybe he thought the wide receiver was going to be somewhere else. But the velocity thing is one that's a little odd to me. I don't want to overreact because we'll, we'll, we'll break down that play that we're about that we're going to reference the the tight end leak with Colin Johnson where the ball just absolutely dies on Daniel Jones and that's a tough throw because you got to play action roll out set up square your hips get your eyes and your shoulders and your feet all aligned and then throw not really too much across your body because I do believe it was a, a boundary play action pass where you just set up in the middle of the field and right. towards the sideline so it wasn't like he was rolling all the way to the opposite hash or anything like that but 
that's the one that I'm a little bit more concerned about, maybe rather than the ball placement, which hopefully is more, and this is glass half full, but hopefully it's more of just, you know, these guys haven't played that much together. Let's get them all on the same page within the confines of this offense. Well, that player breaking down, Nick, is from Monday's practice, and we're going to get to that. But I actually am specifically referring to the velocity and ball placement from Friday's practice because we were there sitting in the third row, and that that was what was really alarming to me. I mean, I agree some of these can definitely – well, hopefully. I don't agree. I'm hoping, and 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 I know you're, you said the same thing, glass half full, that a lot of these can be just attributed to the timing of the offense. But some of those, like the two, the airmail to Wandell that should have been a touchdown – and the other throw in the red zone where he's forced to move off spot. There's no other receiver near. There's no excuse. These are just really bad placement. And the placement stuff is interesting to me because that goes into your arm motion, your ability to generate velocity off off on the move, or even some of them where he was kind of from that balanced base with the shoulders squared, and just technique, everything. About, ball, when ball placement is that far off, it's super alarming to me. Um, and that just goes into the velocity on some of these throws. like The throw to the flat to Dory Jackson that he almost picked six. That's a bad ball from a velocity standpoint. That's why Adoree Jackson can make the break on that play. The other one that Tate Crowder shouldn't have intercepted, that wasn't really a, a velocity issue. It was more of just, you know, a, um, like you said, he didn't see the the hook defender, which has been a thing for Jones. And he wasn't really asked to make any other kind of throws that would show off the velocity. It was really those flat throws that that really stood out to me. And just watching him from three throws away, three rows away, it just didn't look like it was there for him. So, before we get to that, I want to get your 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 thoughts, or you can touch on that if you have something on any of that. I think you're right. I mean, he's never been somebody that you watch him throw the football and you're like, damn, bro, like this is something special. Like I always said, and I, and I still think this, um, unless he like consistently keeps showing like a weaker arm, but like from the film that I've evaluated over the years, I think he has an NFL arm, but it's never been one of those top notch NFL arms, those difference making NFL arms. It's a NFL arm, he can make the throw from that far hash to the far sideline if it's, you know, off coverage and he has a lot of space to kind of put it on the outside shoulder on a comeback route or something like that. But it's not the same amount of just zip that you see like uh, Patrick Holmes or even Justin Herbert or even like someone like a Russell Wilson or or, or players that aren't even necessarily known for, you know, the fastball. Right. You know, even a Matt Russell. Ryan type or Ryan Tannehill yeah. type. You look at how Ryan Tannehill throws a ball. That's the thing because these are supposed to be his ceiling comps. I know a lot of people have said, and I'll throw Kirk Cousins in that too, because Cousins can rip some balls. I've seen the, it's a very different looking ball from those three quarterbacks than Daniel Jones. And those are all his stealing cases. So we have to keep that in mind when we consider his ceiling moving forward. I think we want to be fair and balanced about, you know, where we're at with this whole situation. Um, but back to, back to, back to this, I want to talk a little bit about something that David Cyberston broke down in his evaluation of the practice from the press box. And I want to get your take on this because it's something I haven't talked about as much, but I think it really stands out to me. So he said, when it comes, this is, this, I'm quoting Dave Sai uh, from his review on BBI. He said, I won't beat around the bush. Jones did not look good. His overall accuracy and feel weren't there. He was inches away from an early pick six to Dory Jackson. It was slightly late and it was inaccurate on a simple read and toss. He airmailed a simple throw to Daniel Bellinger. He said, I saw the same thing last time I was at practice. He overthrew Robinson on downfield pass with touchdown potential by at least six yards. He held on the ball for long, too long, two or three times. He did not feel for where the pressure came from on complex blitzes, Martindale sent. And lastly, he did not show a smooth feel for moving within the pocket. And I want to talk about two things here, most importantly. One, it's the simple throws that he's missing from a ball placement. This is what scares me most, Nick, because some of these throws that he's missing to me don't look anything like even like, 
they just don't even seem like throws that anyone on this Giants roster would miss at times. And I hate to say it, but it does feel a little bit like that. The simple throws that are getting airmail. The other thing I want to get your touch on was what David said, uh, what Sai said about the feel, right? Just the overall feel wasn't there. And that's something that's harder to evaluate from a tangible standpoint, which is why I want to get your take on it. But it's this idea that when he's back there, it just doesn't feel like he's comfortable, right? It feels like when the pressure's coming, he's not that comfortable. He's a little bit slow to get into everything as far as his drop, his set, his ability to read. And it just doesn't look that smooth with his pocket manipulation, like Sai said, and his ability to move his feet within the pocket. All of these things are major question marks for me. All these things are major red flags for me. I want to get your take on them. Yeah, I mean, it's not great, but this is a new offense for him too. Like I'm not, and I'm not saying that as an excuse. It's just a reality. I don't expect him, somebody who was in this archaic Jason Garrett offense for the last two years to, to be, have a seamless transition into this offense. And that speaks to Daniel Jones and the concerns that we kind of have about Daniel Jones. I'm not too excited about it, but I'm not shocked either. Like, I think that's probably the best way to evaluate that. And in terms of a pocket manipulation, he doesn't look too comfortable. But it's also like weird when 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 you have like guys who are coming in unblocked and like they're not right. hitting you either. So it's just like he knows he's not going to get hit, so he's not getting rid of the football. And I'm wondering what he's being taught to do, or or like what what the coaches really want him to do in some of these situations. I would like for him to get rid of the football in a much more expedited manner. But I am wondering if if like Dable's like ingratiating him into his offense and, and like trying to get him to go through progressions. I, I just I, I I don't know. I don't think that would be the main focus in that scrimmage, but it might be at the same time. And that's a great point because it would be interesting to know what he's being coached and what he's feeling and what he's told in that spot. Um, just it, but I do think there is a way to kind of compare it because, like as I said, he's like Tyrod Taylor had the best peer throws, and again, that was a report from David Cyberson. Just to let you know, we're not. You know, we're not see we're seeing I mean, everyone who's there I think could see it. I know there's been a lot of we're not getting into that. But look, he said Tyrod Taylor had the best pure throws of the night. And what he said what was interesting to me is he showed better body control and a quicker release when he was moved off his platform. I think those things are completely true, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, I'm not really a hundred percent certain. I'm way up in the stands and like I've had several whiskeys in my body at that point. <laughs> that is so fair. Like I was drunk too. Yeah, so like I, I don't want to sit here and give analysis that's like half-assed, so I'm not, I'm not going to. I, I didn't think Tyrod Taylor walked in from my drunken evaluation of having fun with a bunch of people, and like just totally commanded everything, and it was all well and good. I thought the offense as a whole struggled, but I do believe Daniel Jones struggling in the manner that he's been struggling throughout training camp is opening up a serious conversation that should be entertained about Tyrod Taylor. But I still think everything Dan and I have said over the last couple of weeks rings true in the sense that if there was a quarterback on this roster that the Giants have a future with, it would be Daniel Jones. I don't think, and I'm sure Dan doesn't think that's what will happen, but Daniel Jones is much younger. There's more upside there. He was drafted. They want to see what he has. So I think John Mara and this coaching staff is going to give Daniel Jones every opportunity to lose this job. But if Tyrod Taylor gives you a significantly better chance to win football games, you have to roll in that direction. I'm not convinced that that's the case. But Daniel Jones is not making a great first impression of 2022 right now. And I know there's not there's still a lot of things that aren't really uh, set for him, but that's an excuse that we kind of always provide to Daniel Jones. There's just a lot of excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like, I we need to start see we need to see him seize the moment. 
and sees the day. And hopefully we start seeing a little bit of that in preseason, even though it's just preseason. But it's it's not difficult to say, Dan, like, oh, yeah, he's struggling because he's struggling in training camp. Yeah, and he's had some really good preseason games. His first preseason as a giant was unbelievable when he was a rookie. That was kind of what made people kind of turn to be like, it's time to go to Daniel Jones based on that preseason. But we do have to qualify it by saying, look, preseason is not the bit. One of the biggest issues with Jones is his ability to read the field post snap. And that will be completely negated by the preseason because the defenses aren't doing anything post snap. They're just sitting there in coverage. So that part I can't evaluate, but I can evaluate how the ball's releasing from his hand because that's starting to scare me. The ball placement and the velocity that I'll want to see in the preseason. But I do want to make it clear. I don't think Tyrod Taylor ran some kind of amazing second team off. All I agree with with Cy was the two things he said that Tyrod Taylor had the best pure throws of the night and the one down the field to Colin Johnson was the best throw of the night, in my opinion, without a doubt. And he had one other that stood out and that he had better body control within the pocket, better feel within the pocket and a quicker release. All of those things, I think were very easy to see. And I, and I, I'll just get your take on those specific things. If you can remember, if, if you feel like you can confidently say it, you feel like you would rather have just seen the film and we were just a little too drunk. I get that too. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would have rather just see the film, but I also think just off of watching even practice clips and things like this in training camp that Jones's feet are a little happy and, and Tyrod looks a little bit more poised. I think it's safe to say that. Look, it wasn't the greatest scrimmage for the offense. That's fine. One good thing that I think that we can take away is the defense looked interesting. It looked good out there. The corners looked really good. Um, and I think the defense is, to me, going to be pretty far ahead of offense. And I will say this. The run blocking, is it's they didn't do much of it in this scrimmage. They did some of it. The run blocking looks pretty good. I'm starting to get a feel, Nick, that the run blocking is specifically going to be better this season than we've noticed in the past. And I also think the offense is probably going to run through Saquon Barkley. I think... Barkley is going to be a, a huge part of what the Giants are going to want to do because they're going to utilize that guy through the air. Like we saw them work the screen game. We saw Jason Garrett work the screen game, and it sucked, and it was predictable. I think the screens are going to be much more deceptive, and I think if you can actually establish the run, then you can really work the screen game a little bit better. And We all know the screen game can take pressure off of quarterback and blitzes when a defensive coordinator is really pinning their ears back, and that's something that Daniel Jones has struggled with. So. I don't know, man. I look at Saquon Barkley right now, and I, with Kadarius Tony, with Wondell Robinson, with Kenny Galladay, that's all well and good. But I think the offense is going to run through this dude. And when you have Evan Neal, Mark Lewinsky, and an upgraded offensive line, and they're much better at run blocking than they are pass protecting, why would you not? Yeah, and that's what I was thinking about yesterday, Nick. I was looking at it, and I was like, there's a chance for this Giants offensive line. We're all kind of looking at Friday and recent being like, all right, maybe it is going to take Evan Neal some time in pass protection. Maybe it is going to take the whole offensive line sometime faster. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's just because they have to go against Wink every day. I don't know yet. We'll find out in the regular season. But one thing I'm starting to feel confident about is this could be the best run-blocking unit the Giants have had really since 08-09, 07-08-09, and dating back really the, the early to mid-2000s were all good era. We were starting to get O'Hara in there because, look, you have a potential plus blocker in Evan Neal right away as a run blocker. I think he can be that. Lewinsky, I think, can be that as well. He's an underrated part of that Colts run blocking unit. Feliciano, better with the run. Lemieux, obviously better as a run blocker. And then Andrew Thomas, that's a pretty damn good group from a run block, from a strictly run blocking standpoint. And you want to know the, the best part about that too, is with the previous coaching staff, if you had that, you would just run the football all the time. You'd be predictable about it. And you'd just run, 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 run. I don't think that's going to be the case here. You're still going to have quick hitters. You're still going to get your 
athletic offensive linemen in space and allow them to operate with those skilled players like Kadarius Tony and Wondell Robinson through, you know, quick hitting passes. You're still going to operate quick game. You're going to take your explosive shots downfield. You're just now going to have that option to successfully run the football, I feel like, at probably a more efficient rate. Yeah, and I wonder, Nick, if it gets to the point and this is so funny to think about, but I wonder if it gets to the point where I'm actually hoping the team runs the ball more than they are. Do you think, so. you think that's possible? Yeah. Well, the only way that it's possible is if Daniel Jones sucks so bad that he's a complete liability. And then that would be the only way where it's just like, let's just run the football. And if they were that good at running the football. I am going to be strongly in the camp of, I want Daniel Jones starting the entire season. Now, <laughs> I've also met, then that, think about that. And then put in this perspective. I've also mentioned in the past, and I'm sticking to it. I'm not sold that Daniel Jones gives them a better chance to win football games than Tyrod Taylor. But you know how I am, Nick. I'm not a coach's son. I'm not a coach's guy. I'm not worried really about the short term of this Giants 2022 team. I know it's hard to be like that, but I need to focus on the future of this team. And to me, there is no future with Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback. There might still be a future with Daniel Jones as the quarterback. I haven't turned the page yet. As crazy as that may seem based on what some of you think I've said about him, even though really I'm just giving evaluations, I haven't turned the page. I've still seen enough flashes. That Saints quarter, the quarter against the Saints, that four-game stretch, really. I mean, I thought the stats could have been better against Atlanta, Carolina, and the Raiders if the Giants had just let him air it out a little bit more. If it wasn't Joe Judge as the head coach, if they tried to go for it on some of those fourth and shorts and giving him more opportunity. I still think the physical tools are, or at least at some point were there for Daniel Jones. So I want him to be the quarterback all season. I just need to make that clear as we move forward, because I think some of it's confusing when I talk about how I do think it's very well within the realm of possibility. Tyrod Taylor gives him a better chance to win, but I still think overall, I would rather, I know overall, I want Daniel Jones starting. Every play in every series is going to be so much fun to evaluate this season, man. And that doesn't mean it's going to be great, but there's just so much that rides on every single play. In every single series that Brian Dable goes out there, we can see what the Dable-Kafka alliance is like, Link Martindale as well, see Daniel Jones' development. And we're going to be right here to bring it to everybody. So please tune in to us throughout the season. We do really in-depth breakdowns of what's actually going on between the sidelines. Yeah, the season is, in my opinion, no brag intended where we shine because we break down the all 22 coaches film and we have really good access now because we go beyond NFL Game Pass through my job. I have access to breakdowns that give you the all 22 film overall offense defense, but also individual players, just every play by that player. So me and Nick can really break down the receivers. Me and Nick can really break down the defensive backs and the edges and everything in that nature. So we're going to get to the film analysis during the season that I'm excited for. In the meantime, we roll forward as we do. So Nick, before we get into today's practice, Monday's practice is making a ton of headlines due to the fight and due to Daniel Jones. I want to address two things that I've seen recently in the iTunes comments, two negative reviews we've gotten. I just want to remind you, if you're giving a negative review, but you do enjoy the show, when you give us those negative reviews on iTunes, it hurts us. It hurts our show. It hurts our content. It hurts our ability to produce good content moving forward. What it does is it drops us in the iTunes algorithm, and then it won't allow us to reach people who are Giants fans but haven't heard of us. So just before you give us the negative review, I want you to consider that. The first one addresses the following. He says, I really enjoyed your pod over the last few years, but one thing bothers me, and this was enough to leave a bad review, so I, I hope you might reconsider, Bill. He said, if I understand correctly, you guys don't have press passes, and Nick doesn't even live in New Jersey, yet you guys make it sound like you've been there observing in person when you're just reading off other people's notes and watching video clips. 
So I want to start by saying this. I do have a press pass, Bill. So <laughs> let's make that clear. And a lot of what you're reading and hearing is from people who don't have press passes. And I don't think the press pass makes all that much of a difference when it comes to these practices. I will say that to start. I just can't get there. I have a job, a full-time job that wasn't doesn't allow me to get there. Nick does live in another state. But guess what? Two things. One, we can evaluate things from the video clips because there's a lot of good video clips going around. Two, we don't make it sound like we're there. I think I've made it clear multiple times I haven't been there, and I'm trying to get there for a Friday when I have a day off. Nick is away. We've made it pretty clear we're not there. But for those of you who don't feel like we've made it clear, me and Nick are not at these practices. But two, Nick has people and eyes and ears on the field. Nick works for two of the beat writers. I'm sure you guys know that by this point. I have a lot of friends in the building. I'm sure you've seen some of my connections on Twitter. Carl Banks, Bob Papa, people of that nature. So maybe consider that maybe me and Nick have a few more eyes and ears on the ground than you might think. Um, and just maybe reconsider that this is just part of our coverage training camp. We're evaluating what we hear and see from those people that we're connected to and also what we watch in the videos. But we do have a lot of other offerings on this show that aren't just focused on training camp practice. So I hope you reconsider since you've been listening for the last few years all the good stuff we do and reconsider that evaluation. The second one I want to address, obviously, as you know by now, I like to address these things. I like to call it like it is. You know, I'm just going to be honest. Is the audio content with the mic. Look, I've been hearing a lot of this lately. I went back, listened to a bunch of shows. I don't hear it sounding as bad as others. Maybe that's just because I have good headphones, but I will fix this issue. I have a mic that I bought at the beginning of last year. It's been with me on a lot of different trips as we've recorded, like I've mentioned in the past. It's not as good as it was. I'm trying to get a new mic, but just remember, I work in the media. I'm not made of money, unfortunately. So I'm trying to get that new upgraded mic through my job, through work, through CBS. And if I can, they're saying it's coming. They're saying they're working on it. Things, those things tend to take a little bit more time. If that doesn't expedite and that doesn't come quicker, I will buy a new mic on my own, upgrade that process completely, maybe figure out a way to just get the sound better. Maybe it's the computer that I'm using. I don't know. From what I've listened to, it doesn't sound unlistenable, which I've heard some people say. But if that's the case and it's hard to listen to, that makes for an impossible to listen to podcast. That's really bad. I don't want that. I want that to never be the case. So I wanted to clear that up. I am working on that. That issue will be fixed the very latest by the start of the season, but hopefully sooner. And hopefully this podcast, because I've done some things to try to improve it at least, one being just focusing on always talking directly into the mic. Hopefully this is a start of that progress. I've Tried to retool the mic, look into the settings, things of that nature. But I want to get those out of the way, Nick, before we go on. Let's move on now. Let's talk a little bit about today's practice on Monday. And, then and we'll Dan, Dan yeah, before, we, before we even do that, I just want to acknowledge uh, three different injuries, two of them along the offensive line. One of them, I, I don't even know what the heck is going on. But Marcus McCathin tore his ACL, so that was a fifth-round pick by the Giants, who's no longer there. And then Matt Gano, somebody the Giants signed from the Atlanta Falcons, an offensive tackle, was presumably going to be the swing tackle for the Giants, had a career-ending, basically, neck injury from what I understand. So those are two depth players along the offensive line that will open up some opportunity for some of the other back-end guys, some of the younger guys, and maybe some of the undrafted dudes like Josh Rivas. And also the Giants went out and they signed Will Holden and I believe Eric Smith, who used to be on the Giants, both tackles. But the one player I wanted to bring up, man, is Ricky Seals-Jones. Where the heck is this guy? Yeah, the Ricky Seals-Jones thing is really confusing, but it has led to really good opportunity for Daniel Bellinger, who basically looked like the surefire tight end one on Friday night at the scrimmage based on what we saw out there. From a rep standpoint, and just a, Andre Miller too broke his forearm. Yeah, bro. that was su that one sucked for me because I felt like Andre Miller was going to be he was already finding first team reps, and I feel like he was that unique 
fit at tight end with the vertical element that he offered that really could have been used early on by Kafka and Dable. And that one, stu- that one really sucks. So does McEffin. We saw that ACL tear right in front of our eyes at, at the scrimmage. It was really tough to see. I knew it right away. Cart came out right away. What a disappointment. Um, but yeah, like you said, the tackle depth is, is a serious issue. Let's be honest. We need Thomas to stay healthy. We need Evan Neal to stay healthy. And if not, we need Matt Pear to get the hell back on the field and to look better with this new coaching staff. Because as Nick and me said, Nick, what did I tell you when we were we were literally right behind the Giants bench, um, right behind the offensive lineman, three rows up at that at that fan fest. So I felt like I got a good view of a lot of things going on in the sideline and these players. And what did I tell you about the offensive line? You know I'm a big frame guy. You know I'm a big look the park guy, especially on the offensive line. The four who stood out to me. Thomas and Neil, obviously. Matt Parrott looks the part. And then Josh Azudu, man. Josh Azudu is a different level athlete, a different breed build, different breed frame than the rest of those interior guys. But Parrott was one of those four, man, and he wasn't even in pads. He was just he just looked like that with a t-shirt on. So man, they got I I hope he can get healthy again. Cause I really think the best bet is him as the swing tackle. I agree. And he's still young and he has a lot of physical aspects and attributes about his game that you know could translate to being a really good tackle and i believe he was in a red shirt there too and you know rocking the giants red yep. you know love to see that too nobody you know? loves the giants red more than you Nick. nobody <laughs> i like the giants red bro i don't know why i don't know why but you do i do but yeah man today's practice monday august 8th some um a lot of headlines went to the fight and one of the funniest pictures i've seen in a while uh happened because of that fight with cam brown and john feliciano but then you also had the Daniel Jones play. So where do you want to start here, bro? Well, we can talk about the Daniel Jones play that we got video of. I think that's what you're referring to. Um, but overall, we can we can start with just the fact that it was a rough day for the offense and the passing game in general here. A little bit better for the run game. I'm trying to get the numbers up now. Bobby Skinner took these down. He was at practice. Talking Giants, Bobby Skinner. But I don't really love to reference training camp stats. I think they're insanely overrated. For a variety of reasons. I'm talking about like passing numbers like 12 and 15, whatever. But when it's really bad, it does stand out a little bit more. So I'm just trying to get out what these numbers were. I think it was five of sixteen for Daniel Jones on the day, including the two interceptions that he threw, one of which we're going to get to because it was troubling for a reason to me that was really unrelated entirely to the, to the what happened on the play. So five of 16 with two interceptions, Daniel Jones. Um, and then according to Bobby, a lot of would be sacks, they just blow dead. They don't call uh, sacks in this regard, but I'm not really focused on the numbers. I'm not really focused on the quote unquote production in these camp practices, focus on the traits. That's what matters to me. So let's talk about the interception here, Nick, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. You broke it down. So you, so you've already done that. But from my perspective, watching the video, Nick, what alarms me the most is, off of this play action rollback, Daniel Jones is able, like you said, to really set his feet and square his shoulders from the middle of the pocket to make this throw. And yet the amount of velocity that he gets on this throw, eventually it looks like McKinney, in my mind, isn't really even racing over. He's kind of smoothly moving over to make this interception. He eventually jumps in what ends up being almost like a punt-like lob. The ball just completely dies on Jones. It looks almost like he was trying to throw a touch pass but this ball can never be a touch pass. I mean, you're throwing a vertical down the field. You can never put touch on that ball. You can put touch, but you have to put drive and touch. It can't just be full touch. I mean, we've seen some of Jones's best throws have drive and touch with even a bigger lean on touch. But this one was just pure touch. I mean, that ball had almost no velocity for an NFL quarterback. 
and it completely died down for an easy interception to McKinney. It made me wonder, Nick, and this is what I want to get your thoughts on. This is nothing we're going to hear from the media. This is no one's at, nothing's going to ever reveal this, but if you agree with me, Nick, let's first start by saying that. If you agree with me that this ball had an alarming lack of velocity, less velocity than I've seen from Jones at almost any point in his career, and this is kind of a double down from what I saw Friday, which was the worst velocity I've ever seen from a live Jones game. Now, here are the games I've seen Jones live. I covered his first three games, home games, for CBS Sports when I was back working on the Giants beat there. So I saw Washington, Vikings, and there was one more that I'm now forgetting. And I saw those all from the press box. So it's a little bit of a different feel from the press box than it is from the three, uh, third, three rows back to the 50-yard line midfield. We didn't really hear anything at all on the neck injury from the Giants, from Daniel Jones. There's been basically no discussion on it. An injury that was serious enough to knock him out for the rest of the season. Earlier, there was one report that it might uh, put his career. I mean, that was I think it was the carpenter who said something like that. Is there any possible chance that no one said anything? We're not hearing anything, but part of this dip in velocity recently, because look, man, the velocity right now should be at its best. He's fresh. He hasn't thrown much at all this. Look, he's not midseason. You've thrown 100,000 balls, and your arm is a lot less fresh. And the weather is great. There's no cold weather, no major crazy winds. Is it possible that this dip in velocity is related to the, sh- to the neck injury? Yeah, it definitely could be. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but, I mean, theoretically that makes sense, right? I'm not saying that that's the case, but it's plausible. Yeah, just something I've been considering. I mean, I threw it out there. I don't know for a fact or anything like that. I'm just posing the question. Um, I spoke with Giant Insider on Twitter who, who somebody uh, tagged to ask about this. He said no chance, but he also then said it's just nothing he's heard about. Again, I just don't know that we hear this type of thing. <laughs> if it's the case and it's the truth, Daniel Jones, I doubt, would say anything. The Giants brass, I doubt, there, would say anything. There are throws that we've seen in training camp that seem to have drive and velocity. They're not all like cupcake lollipops like that one seemed to be. And that's also, a, and I'm not making excuses for it. It was, a, it was a throw that just died. But that plays, you know, it's not like your traditional, you're just dropping back in the pocket. Like there are a lot of elements that yep. maybe he hasn't practiced all that much. The play action, roll out, tight end, lead to the backside. You got to snap everything in one direction and then throw it over the top. It's there to take advantage of that middle of the field, close safety, which was Xavier McKinney who played it phenomenally. If anybody wants a little breakdown on it, I put it up on Twitter. Yeah, so it's that's the other side of this thing. It was a great play by McKinney. I don't particularly think it was a hard play to make based on the velocity on the throw. But it was still a great play to make. I mean, it's still great route recognition. He could have been in a totally wrong spot and not even been able to catch up to a ball even at that with that little velocity on it. It's still that happens all the time in the NFL. There's out of position these safeties, but he's not one of them. I mean, he's when he's that single, you know, that single safety, middle of the field, closed look type of safety, he don't make those mistakes. He's always around the ball. I love to see it. You had a great breakdown of what he did well on the play. Um, but I just felt like from what I've seen in the videos so far. The velocity hasn't been how it how, how it's always been in the past. Like remember some of the throws we even talked about last year, where he comes back to maybe uh, those those stop routes or those comeback routes around that 15 yard intermediate range, and he kind of rips that ball in there. We saw it against the Saints on a throw to to John Ross. We've seen a few examples of it over his career. Um, but again, part of this is what that one listener pointed out. Look, me and Nick aren't there every day at practice. We can't be with our jobs. So I wish I could see every throw he makes. Instead, I'm limited to the videos and my eyes and ears on the field. Which are some which are people that I trust who are telling me things that I'm going to listen to. But again, it's early. It's only a couple of days. I'm not going to make too much of it. But 
definitely wasn't a great thing to see. No, it wasn't a great thing to see. It's been rough. Like training camp hasn't, you know, been too kind to Daniel Jones right now. He has to adapt to this new offense. I trust Mike Kafka and Brian Dable to put him in the optimal position, but it's going to be on him to seize it and, you know, bring it to reality, at least try to reach that potential that we think he has. But again, all of that, nothing's concrete. You know, we haven't seen it at a consistent level whatsoever. For sure. All right, let's talk about the fight. Two days ago on Sunday, Brian, or maybe it was one day ago, maybe it was Saturday, I don't remember. Brian Dable said, look, we're going to ramp up the intensity of these practices. We're going pads, we're going to hit, tens and tens and tens. Two days later, there's a fight in Giants practice. So break down the fight, Nick, from your perspective, and what do you make of it? I mean, it is what it is. It's going to happen in training camp. A lot of these tempers fly, people fight. I just think it's hilarious that there's a picture of Cam Brown pulling John Feliciano out of a pile, and it looks like John Feliciano is like an extra in Saving Private Ryan or something (laughs) like that, man. It was a pretty funny optic, and he had fun with it on Twitter. I think the one really interesting thing to note, I guess, about uh, looking at this is Bobby Johnson was involved. So you have a, an offensive line coach kind of getting involved. I don't know the extent, but it seemed like he was taking exception to the to the defensive players. And I look at the offense, though, man, like these defensive players are more than likely told, you know, you can't tackle these guys to the ground. You're not bringing people down at the ground. So when Saquon Barkley lowers his shoulder on Aaron Robinson and like gives him a really nice hard bump, if I'm Aaron Robinson, I'm going to be a little pissed about that, man. It's like, dude, I would stick you and drive you into the ground if I was allowed to, but I'm not. You're going to give me this bump. I can definitely right. see why the defenders took exception to that. And I can also see why the offense is like, screw you. I loved being in training camp when I coached because like the offense and the defense, like that rivalry is so real and it's so palpable. And anytime you go on either seven on sevens or 11 on 11s, you know, the main thing is obviously don't get injured. That's the primary thing. But like you could just feel that like competitive hatred yet love at the same time and it's kind of what it seems like the giants have over there with their offensive defense without a doubt and i don't have too much on the fight i just not i guess i just don't have too much analysis on it i, just, I, I like you said I, I i've been there at these practices especially dating back to the albany days so dog days of summer they're starting to ramp it up they want to get ready for regular season i think overall it's probably a fine thing i do want to talk a little bit about gary stoney though because Tony had two pretty bad drops today in practice. And in general, you get the feel from watching on Friday night at the scrimmage. You can see a guy like Wondell Robinson, right, in his first year as an NFL pro. Him find that hole, that open hole in the zone, know where to be, have that just innate feel for where to be on that play where Jones would have been sacked by uh, Darnay Holmes. But instead, you know, no sacks in the scrimmage, was allowed to step up in the pocket and throw that the, the longest completion of the night, the one to Robinson. Tony, I, you know, Jones tried to come back to him early on the Dory Jackson would-be pick six. Wasn't really involved, wasn't really, in, didn't, to me, feel like he had the feel. You know, we've, we've seen and heard from multiple people evaluating this team that it's taking him a little longer to pick up the playbook. That's not that big of a surprise to me. There's a lot of option routes, a lot of choice routes, and he's kind of newish to the wide receiver position in general. At Florida, he was a gadget player for a lot of his career there. Uh, a lot of snaps in the slot. So, what do you make of this? Is it possible that Tony could have a slow start to the season? Is that something you foresee, or, or are we looking into it too much? I don't think we're looking into it too much. I don't know if he's going to have a slow start to the season because it depends on how much this coaching staff trusts him or what their responsibilities are that they bestow onto him because he can like struggle to pick up certain things and they can still try to get his hands on the football just because he's such a dynamic and electric playmaker. But 
dropping the football is dropping the football. It sucks. He did it, I think, twice in warmups and then twice during 11-on-11s. You never want to see that. I'm sure people were pretty upset about seeing that. And I just hope he can adapt to the playbook because you need to be on the same page with your quarterback. And a lot of people on the beat have talked about this, and you can see it even in some of the practices. You go back to Kevin Gilbride, you know, it's all about the quarterback and the wide receiver being on the same page and reading the same thing, reading the same keys, defensive leverage or whatever they're being taught to read. They have to be on the same page with each other to to run the route. And a lot of these are quick. You know, it's bang, bang. So Daniel Jones thinks you're running a quick in route and instead you run a stop route. It's probably going to be an interception. So like those things could happen. That's why we saw Eli Manning throw so many damn interceptions back in, you know, the early 2010s. So. That's uh, one thing that he needs to adapt to. And, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can actually assimilate to this offense, maybe a little bit more complex, but definitely gives you more freedom. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about because I had some, you know, evil, awful, no good flashbacks to the Ruben Randall days, Nick, where Randall was just so off page with Eli Manning and running these awful routes against coverages, where obviously, you know, you can look at it from the outside and be like, was there ever confirmation that it was Ruben's fault? No. But was Eli Manning a established veteran who's clearly doing a lot more film work and reading defenses post-snap a lot better than Ruben Randall was, especially with an offense, you know, that run-shoot, Gilbride offense that he had years of experience in and years to kind of master? Sure. Yeah, I can make that assumption. Randall was just not running the right routes. And there were so many unnecessary interceptions that killed the Giants. And I just don't want that happening again because you just – there's no margin for error with this team. With this amount of talent they have at the quarterback position, there's no margin for error for pick sixes. So they're, I just don't want that to be the case. And I'm just, I'm hoping it's not, it's, it, but it just gives me some, you know, at least some just feeling of a little bit of dread. I'll be honest. Yeah. A little bit of dread, I think is a good way to put it, but either way, I'm super excited. And I know you are, man. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun season. Let's hope they can actually win games and be competitive. And that's the thing. I feel like there might be a blueprint to win games that could get us all excited because, this again, the schedule is insanely easy. There's enough bad quarterbacks on this schedule that this defense has shown me enough. They think they can dictate those quarterbacks. And I think this can ultimately potentially be a version of that 2022nd half Giants team just a year and a half ago that was competitive via running the ball and via defense. And then there will be a few more hopeful, like, good throws by Jones or something, or like good play after the catch on these quick hitters that leads to something. And this is going to be a better, like that run blocking unit gelled in the second half of 2020 with a bunch of different names they had up there. Lemieux was playing well in the run game, things of that nature. Andrew Thomas was improving in the run game. Now they have even better guys to throw out there in the run game with Neil and Glowinski on this roster. And so there's a chance in my mind, this could be a better run team than they were in that second half. And I think the defense can be as good. I know they were clicking well with Graham at that second time. But, man, they didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau screaming off the edge, who's already looking like a surefire bet to me. They didn't have McKinney playing at the level he's playing now. So, I don't know. I get a good feeling about them being competitive, even if they don't get good quarterback play. And we'll see what happens on that front for sure. But let's wrap up by talking about Thursday, the first preseason game for the Giants in a couple days from now. Daves is doing something different than Joe Judge, baby. He's playing the starters in the preseason, and I think I think that means Saquon Barkley. He said everyone that's healthy will start and play. I guess that means Barkley? I'm imagining, right? He's healthy, presumably. 
he's the one player that I look at. I'm like, hey, does he need it? I mean, I guess you. I'm not, and I know he's not like the perfect prospect or anything, and he he could definitely use some reps under his belt just because all the time he's missed. But just with all the injuries this dude has suffered, it just seems like he's definitely like walked under a ladder or had a black cat like run past his feet because some of them are just fluky, like freaking stepping on a Jordan Lewis's foot <laughs> rolling his I ankle. I know nothing can do about that, but I'm excited to see his starters. Yeah. I do think about Aaron Rodgers' quote about how we're not going to learn too much about our offense because the defenses, the opposing defenses, are doing such basic things in coverage. It's not rolling pre-snap, not disguising. But we still do get to see what he said, Rodgers said. Some people do rise under the lights in the big game moments. And, and it's also Aaron Rodgers is, is – like Daniel Jones will get value out of this. Aaron Rodgers isn't, you know. Even, sure. even with the defense being a little bit more vanilla, Daniel Jones will still – get a lot more value than an Aaron Rodgers would in that situation. For sure. That's a very fair statement, Nick. So I am excited to see the starters. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. We'll do another pod this week, probably previewing what we're looking for. Hopefully having on a guest, we'll see what happens on that front. If we can make it, if we can make it work as a guest, I definitely want to hear from, and I know you guys will too. So otherwise have a great rest of your week. Thanks to everyone again, who stopped by and said hi at the Giants fan club. Talk to you soon and go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.